we're going to jump into the message today, and uh, I'm going to go through it kind of quick, so buckle up. Uh, I don't think I'm the kind of person that maybe you speed up at one and a half times on the, on the video replay because I talk pretty fast, but you're welcome to do that later. But live, I'm just going to talk fast. We're in a series on worldview. We've been going through the war of the worldviews, talking about the three big questions. What is real, what is true, and what is right? And we've been camped on this question, the second question, what is true? Because truth is the pivot point. The nature of truth, how we know what we know, how do we determine truth, and how do we dissect from this blizzard of information and ideas and philosophies and worldviews coming at us all the time through social media and the news and everything and our friends and family and all of it, even our own opinions, how do we say, this is the ground I plant my flag on, this is where my foundation is at, this is where my feet stand firm, where do we kind of lock down and say, this is truth? And so we're, we're talking about this question, truth. Now, I've been going through the kind of philosophical, the heady stuff, and today I want to get a little bit more pastoral and talk about truth and why it matters for followers of Jesus. You know, I know maybe you're watching this today and you're like, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus. That's awesome. You're going to get a lot out of this. And I believe God's going to actually speak to you. He wants to encounter you today, flood your life with his joy, with his peace, and bring you salvation. I absolutely believe that. But today I want to talk a little bit more specifically just to the family. I want to talk to people that say, I am a follower of Jesus. Because one of the the goals for this sermon series is not to tell people that aren't card-carrying Christians how to think. It's to actually say, we as followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to think. We need to get our worldview aligned with Christ's, okay? Now, if you're not a Christian, that's awesome uh, that you're here today, that you're watching this. I encourage you to listen to this whole thing because I want you to, to look through this lens of how Christians should be thinking and see the light of Christ shining back into your life. I think you're going to be illuminated by it. But for those of us that are Christians, sometimes we get our lens turned off and we start to allow culture to shape our worldview rather than allowing scripture and allowing Christ to shape our worldview. And we need to do it that way, not the other way, not letting culture and circumstances and our own emotions and feelings um, come in and, and push us off course, but allow the word of God, the Holy Scriptures, allow our relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit to guide how we think and we see, we act, and we believe. So we're talking about that uh, in this series on worldviews, that truth matters. Now, truth is, a, is an interesting thing. I think we all would really prefer if everyone was just simply honest with us, right? Unless you're asking them, does these pants make my butt look fat? Like, then you want to lie, right? No, you look great. Your butt looks phenomenal, right? But if we are uh, honest, we want honesty from other people, and yet we struggle with honesty. And this starts right from the very beginning. Like, children, um, truth is, is a work in progress. Like, I know for my kids, you know, raising kids, truth is a work in progress. I remember that a couple, I think this was a couple years ago now at this point, but one night we put the kids to bed and I was sort of on dad duty sitting in my office to, to verify that, you know, the prison block had been shut down and all the prison doors were locked and, you know, just let's keep Gen Pop in the rooms, you know what I mean? And the three kids, they share a room, so they're all, we have triple bunks, you know, boom, 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 they're right there. It's kind of like being on a submarine, you know, they're right there. And uh, I, I prayed for them, we do our prayer, you know, we, we do our, our hugs, four hugs, three prayers, a song and a dance, the whole routine. They're in bed. I go in, and I'm hearing chitter-chatter, you know, whatever, I'm not talking, whatever. It sounds like Alvin and the Chipmunks in there. And I go, hey, who's awake in there? And it's dead silent. And then a small voice replies, not me. <laughs> Somebody's not being honest here, right? And I love that because there, there's a struggle, right, to, to be honest. We don't want to get caught. We don't want to get in trouble. And so there's a struggle to be transparent. Who's awake in there? Not me. Okay. Uh, hopefully you get that. All right. <clears throat> Sometimes, though, kids are, are too honest. 
They tell the truth too well, right? And you go, how can you tell the truth too well? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Years and years ago, there was a gentleman at our church that we used to go to in another town. So you don't know this person, so I can say if we tell this story. This fellow, he struggled a little bit with weight. He was obese, okay? Let's be honest. He was about 450 pounds, and his belly hung down almost to his knees. And so this guy, he struggled. He was still walking, you know, uh, but he, he came into the church one day, and he was leaning up against the, the, uh, the countertop. And we had a, a, young, a young kid that was actually the ring bearer in Bethany in my wedding. And I think we were walking him around. And he, I don't know how old he was, but he was old enough to talk, but not old enough to really think about what he was saying. And he comes out of the sanctuary. He sees this enormous guy with his belly kind of hanging out of his shirt, sagging down. And he just goes, hey, he's fat. Those are the moments when you are all about censorship. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cover his mouth. Like, uh, I mean, and luckily, I think the guy laughed about it or whatever. But sometimes kids are too honest, right? You ever have your kids, you're in the, you're in the line, you know, at the coffee, uh, coffee stand or whatever, and they're shouting things about you and what you just did. My dad farted, you know, from the back seat. And you're like, be quiet in Jesus' name, you know? I'm sorry, my children are, are demon-possessed, right? They're liars. My children are not honest. Okay, you, you get what I'm saying. So, so truth you know, kids struggle with it, being dishonest, and they sometimes struggle with saying things in a way that maybe is 100% accurate, but lacking maybe some tact, maybe some love, maybe some grace. Truth matters, okay? Now, in all seriousness, for followers of Jesus, let's go through a couple of quick points, four things. Why truth matters to us as followers of Jesus. Number one, our faith is built on truth. Now, very quickly, faith is caricatured. Faith is acted like, people act like faith means blind faith. So it's like, I just believe, I don't need evidence. I just sort of resonate with cosmic vibes about Jesus and I get goosebumps and, and that's what faith is. And I just, even though all circumstances point a different direction, okay, that is called blind faith. That's a caricature. The Christian faith is rooted in reality, history, science, philosophy, historical events. And we've gone through this. It's rooted in the, the viability, the, the falsifiability and the, uh, and, the, and the verifiability of scripture. There's so many things our faith is built on truth, real truth, scientific truth. It's actually anchored on truth. This is why uh, in 1 John chapter 1, Jesus' disciple John, as he's writing a letter post the resurrection of Jesus, he says, we proclaim to you the one who existed. And I would add in parenthesis here, who actually existed. Because a lot of people are like, well, did Jesus even exist? Yes, historically. Even people who didn't want him to exist verified historically that he did, like Tacitus, Platonius, all these different people. Okay. Uh, I don't think it was Plutonius. That sounds like something else, but Suetonius, I think, is the, the correct. Since you really care about the Roman historians that I, that I quote here on these messages. But John says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, and we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. Okay? Empirical evidence. And touched him with our own hands. He's the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. We saw him with our own eyes. Jesus existed. The stuff we said he did, he did. Who he said he was, he was. We saw it. We touched him. We were there. And now we tell you, we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, what we've actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, okay? And John says, we're writing these things to you so you may fully share our joy. The Christian faith is about truth. Our faith is built on real events, historical events. It's based on things being actually true. These first Christians weren't dealing with a philosophical or metaphorical Jesus. They were all about history and reality, and we should be about that today as well, okay? That we are actually people that believe that there is a Jesus who did die on the cross 
for the sins of mankind. He did raise from the dead, and that event should cause us to ask some questions about ramifications and implications and then adjust our worldview accordingly. Number two, God cares about truth. So our faith rests on truth. It's built on truth, but God cares about it. In Psalms 51, uh, this is the a Psalm of David of repentance. He, he's praying to the Lord. He says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. He's saying that, man, God, from the very earliest time, when I was even being woven together in my mother's womb, you cared about truth. That's actually what this verse means, that God desires truth even in the inmost parts, talking about the mother's womb, that from the beginning, God has wanted human beings to be integrated individuals. In other words, our values, our ethics, our worldview, it all aligns and we care about truth. Now, again, as human beings, we struggle. Sometimes God says, who's awake? And we say, not me. You know, and, we, and we're disintegrated. We are broken by sin and coming to Christ. It's sort of uncomfortable because your disintegration has to get reintegrated into a whole person in, the, in, in, in our relationship with Christ. But God cares about this. In another passage of scripture, it says the Lord hates lying lips, right? Somebody's lying. Somebody's not telling the truth. God does not like that. The, the, the devil, Satan, our enemy is called the father of lies. Lying is very destructive. How many of you right now just want the truth about what's happening in culture, what's happening in society? And to be honest with you, even now science is being used as a political social weapon on both sides of the issue or all sides of the issue, because it's not just two sides. There's so many sides and truth is very, is very much at a premium these days, but God does not like lying. God cares about truth. He wants truth. Number three, truth has the power to set us free. And this is a really cool thing that in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, Jesus, when he's talking about truth here, is not just talking about abstract truth of any kind. He's talking about the truth of who he is and the truth of the gospel. That is the truth that sets people free, but it's also the truth that is a key that unlocks the whole show. Because when you know Christ and when you have a relationship with Christ and when you have a worldview aligned with Christ, which stretches back to both Old and New Testament and a biblical worldview constructed upon the foundation of God's truth, you will be free to live your life and be that integrated human being that God has made you to be. Okay, there's a lot of words there, a lot of things, but I hope you grab at least one chicken nugget out of that, dip it in ranch, and enjoy it, okay? The truth will set you free, okay? Number four, we are to receive, understand, and speak the truth. As followers of Jesus, we are to be humble enough to receive it. We are to be disciplined enough to understand it, and we are to be courageous enough to speak it. Let me say that again. We are to be humble enough to receive it because receiving truth means you don't have the whole story to yourself, right? You don't know everything. And a lot of times I think I do. How about you, right? But I don't. And so receive it. I need to be uh, disciplined enough to understand it. A lot of people think, oh, you know, I just read the Bible. I read three verses. I read John 3, 16, and now I got it. I don't need to study it out. No, this is an ancient document. It requires some study and some digging in and some effort and some time to connect with truth and to peer through things and you know, pierce into the, the mysteries. Uh, and and I'll go, I won't go into all of that, but we need to be disciplined in this pursuit of truth. And then we need to be courageous to speak it, okay? Because to speak the truth in love, as we're going to find out in just a minute, is the commissioning, the calling of a Christian, to speak the truth in love. It's the blending of saying, being honest, but not doing it in a way that is destructive and not doing it in a way that isn't actually helpful to people and helpful to our brothers and sisters. So our faith is built on truth. God cares about it. It sets us free, and we're to receive, understand, 
and speak the truth. Truth matters for followers of Jesus. Let's get into a passage of scripture here that we're going to kind of camp on, and I'm going to pull some things out of, and then we'll move on, and we'll go eat something delicious, either at home or wearing a mask at a local restaurant, okay? So uh, I hate when I try to eat through my mask. Does that happen to you? Or coffee? It's happened to me several times. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is a, a letter. It's called an epistle. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a city in Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. Um, it has a, a port nearby. It's a, it's a major metropolitan city. There's a big church here. Timothy becomes the pastor of this church. Uh, it's large. It's a large church. Um, and it's a pattern of, a, of what a New Testament church should look like. And I love this passage. In fact, a lot of what we do at Joy Church is rooted in and based in this passage. So this is like a really important passage for us, especially if you're a Christian, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, and especially, especially if you are a member of Joy Church. It says in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. God wants to give the church, the body of Christ, his people gifts. And so what did he do? He gave them apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. It's what we call the fivefold. These are the five ministry giftings that are called to minister to the church for what comes next. It says in verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. What is the word equip? What does that word mean? It means to give the tools to. Okay, if I say, hey, I want you to dig a ditch, and I just say, enjoy it, you know, enjoy this task. I don't give you any tools, and you're out there scratching into the dirt with your fingernails. That is not being equipped. And yet, in the modern church, we see a lot of this going on where preachers like myself, pastors, you know, proclaim. We, we talk about truth, and we say, now go make disciples, but we maybe don't equip. And so I want to personally apologize if I have not equipped you to do the work of ministry that God's called you to do, because you won't find fulfillment as part of the body unless you're actually doing the work of the body, the ministry of the body. And we're going to talk about this, but this is the job. This is the description, the, the template. Their job, their responsibility is to equip, to give the tools necessary to accomplish the job, God's people to do his work. Whose work? God's work, okay? And to build up the church, the body of Christ. In other words, to help the church grow, to add new people, to organize, to structure, to put on live streams. This is why we have a church staff. This is why we have elders, because there's actually structure and organization around the, or, around the organic nature of the church spiritual. Now, there's this very insidious, and it sounds great, but it's totally a lie, and it's totally bonkers mentality that we need no church leaders. We don't need pastors. People will say, well, the New Testament church, they didn't really have any structure, you know, balderdash. That's not true at all. No organization can operate without organizers. No organization can operate without a framework. It's like your body has to have a bone structure. Now, we don't go, man, like my femurs are awesome. I got the best femurs. We don't do that. So maybe if we're elevating pastors and apostles and prophets and teachers to too high of a level, we're missing the point. But we need bone structure. You need framework. And I'm, I just talk about that all day. But their responsibility is to equip and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue... Okay, so I want you to understand something. When Paul says, this is going to keep happening, okay, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to pull out of this that he's saying, this is going to continue to happen until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Let me just draw this out for you here. Paul's saying, this structure is in place until every Christian is exactly up to the standard of Jesus. 
Are we there yet? Do you think we're there yet? Because I look at my life and I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm really measuring up to very much of Christ at all. But there's a lot of growth and a lot of maturity and things that have happened in my life. And in many of you that I know personally, I see the, the beauty of Jesus shining out of your eyes. You've grown. I mean, there's wonderful, incredible believers and Christians. So we're on a journey. We're, it, it's not like we make no progress, but we're not there. We're not, we're not at a place where every follower of Jesus measures up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It's like with having children, you don't, you don't change the parental child relationship until the child is raised. And even in that, there's still more that comes. I'm 35 years old right now, and my dad's still fathering me, and I'm glad for it. And I'm a father. Now, has he raised me? Absolutely. But there's still a progression and, and, uh, and still things happening. But when we look at this, Paul's saying, hey, this is going to keep happening. This is how it's supposed to be until we measure all the way up. And what he's really saying is this is how the church is going to function until Jesus comes back. This is how it's going to be until Jesus shows up and he's king of the world, right? I was talking to somebody the other day about politics, and we were going back and forth. And it was like, you know, ultimately I said, hey, my worldview is that we're not going to have this perfect utopia. No matter who's the president or who gets to be, whether we defund or, or refund or whatever we do, any group of organization, we're not going to have utopia until Jesus is the president, prime minister, king, cabinet minister of everything, right? We're not going to have a perfect world until that point. And this is what Paul's saying, like we, we have a goal here and we're going to work towards it, but it's not going to change until Jesus fully comes back, until we measure up. Then verse 14, he says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Put a pin in that. We're going to look at that. Every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That should scare you a little bit, that phrase. That there are lies that are so clever they sound like the truth. And what, what does this mean? It means you're going to have to get good at dialing in your radio to, to say that's not the broadcast. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. I've heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of political broadcasts and philosophical broadcasts and YouTube videos and tweets and all that stuff as you have. And many times I'll hear something and they kind of go, yeah, kind of like, yeah. And then I'll, I'll, I'll hear the shepherd say, wait a second, no, it's not quite right. And w- what is that? It's a lie so clever that it sounds like truth. Verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love. This is that thing when I said we receive it, we understand it, we speak it. Growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Okay, this is a phenomenal passage, and I could probably preach on a whole series on it. I'm just going to do one day. But I hope that there's some mountaintops that we can, we can skip on that, that really help us kind of get a, an overview of this. First thing I want to just say, and I've already talked about it a bit, but that God has given the church gifts in the form of leaders whose role or job it is to equip them for the work of the ministry, to equip them, to give them the tools to do God's work. What is the work of God? Well, it's the Great Commission, what Jesus said. This is the job of the church. Go into all the world, make disciples. So if you're a Christian, say, my job is to make disciples. Okay, now that's a Christian phrase, make disciples. We're going to have to put some framework on that and flesh it out to know what it means, but that is our job. That's job number one. That's God's work, make disciples. Now, the problem with this is that most Christians, including at Joy Church, okay, this is not me preaching to some other church. This is me preaching to us, okay? This is not me preaching to some other place, some other city. No, this is us. Many Christians, and I would say even most, are confused about the roles within the church because they think the minister should be doing ministry, should be ministering. And I would say to that, heavens no. Heavens no, because that is not 
what the pattern is. That's not what the scripture says. Now you go, well, were you trying to get out of something, Jake? You know, no, I am called to do ministry as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, but as a pastor, as one of the fivefold, my role is to equip you and us to do the work of the ministry. And, and similarly for other leaders in our church, God's people, you should be preaching the gospel. And people always go, well, you should demonstrate I'm just nice to people. Well, that, that's part of it. But like, you actually, sometimes you have to tell people about Jesus. I was talking to an awesome guy in our church, and he was sharing some stories of where he'd actually shared faith, and people actually came to Jesus, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome, you know? Like, he actually opened his mouth and told some people about Jesus, and they actually became Christians. What if that was normal, not abnormal? What if that was just something that happened, not the exception? Okay, God's people should be preaching the gospel. God's people should be praying for the sick, and they get better. They recover. They're healed. Like the power of the kingdom of God should be manifest through your hands, through your life, through your words. God's people should be expanding the kingdom of God. It shouldn't be like, oh, hear my pastor. He knows what's up. It should be like, hear my voice because I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm equipped to help you understand who Jesus is. But what does this require? It requires knowing and applying the truth. Knowing and applying the truth. This is why as a follower of Jesus, we have to get our mindset out of, I go to church on Sunday to get, to get fed. I'm a consumer. I get my Jesus dose so I can kind of barely survive through the week. Rather, Sunday should be a rally for us as followers of Jesus. Yes, to get recharged, refueled, to get fired up, to have a great time in the presence of God, but really not because that's the only thing that gets us through, but we're coming together so that we can continue to overcome the rest of the week. See, we have this thing where church is the high watermark. Church shouldn't be the high watermark. It should be the low watermark. It's the total opposite. Church should be the low watermark of ministry, and all the ministry should ramp up on Monday. All the ministry, praying for people, healing, seeing healing, seeing preaching, seeing souls saved, should ramp up on Monday, not ramp up to Sunday and ramp down the rest of the week. We all survive. We get through. We struggle. We get mad on politics, and you know we're mad because the Ducks can't play football for one year. Okay, I actually need help with that. So we're down, and then we ramp up to Sunday. No, we, we, we are, we're, we're ministering at our high capacity in Christ all through the week. Sunday's not the high water mark, okay? You hear what I'm saying here? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, another letter of Paul to the pastor of this church in Ephesus, to Timothy. He says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. You need to know what you believe and why. Somebody says, why are you a Christian? You need to not be like, well, or, um, uh, ah, e, oh, it sounds like you're doing, you know, the sound of music, do, you know, doing the whole thing. No, you need to be able to say, this is why I'm a Christian. It's truth. I know Jesus, he's changed my life. This is my testimony, but I can also talk to you about why other worldviews are bankrupt. Why it's not all roads lead to God. Why it's not that Everything is a matter of perspective. No, things are true. Things are false. And I'm going to speak it in love, but I'm going to speak it and I know it. We need to be working hard to, so that we can correctly explain the word of truth. As we pursue, this is the quote I want. If you don't get anything else out of today, this is it. As we pursue the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, we must not neglect the Holy Spirit's work in our minds. As we pursue the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, we must not neglect the Holy Spirit's work in our minds. Here's the problem with a lot of what we do as Christians. We're very selfish with it. It's like, oh, Jesus changed my life. I just experience his joy, his peace, his goodness, and I just love it. And I, it's so hard to get through the week, and I'm so persecuted in the 21st century in America. And I, 
And then, you know, I get to church and I get refreshed, and then I go to survive the evil world in the, during the week. And we're very much in love with the work of God in our hearts. He's transforming us. He's changing us. It's our story, our journey, because we're individualists. Like, that's our culture. But the kingdom culture is not individualist. The kingdom culture is that you matter so much to God as a person. Now get in line and do the job. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Oh, I, I, this is not me. I'm not, I am not, I don't, I'm not bold enough to talk to people about Jesus. Then let the Holy Spirit transform you from the inside out and work you to the place where you are bold enough. But there actually needs to be some transformation for followers of Jesus. And he wants to not just work in your heart and your emotions and your spirit, but in your mind so that you're sharp as a, you're sharp, right? You have clarity. You have cogency when you speak. You can talk to people about Jesus. You understand the difference between worldviews. You've actually been disciplined to rightly explain the word of truth. Okay, the target in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, so the, the, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, teachers, evangelists, they're to equip. They're giving us tools to do, the, to do the job that we're called to do, but we need to be dedicated to it. The target of this is unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. And it could be said in this way, that we are to love and look like Jesus. We're to love like Jesus. We're to look like Jesus. We are to be like Jesus in the way we talk, in the way we think, in the way we act. We're to treat other people in this way. We're to be unified in our faith. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, don't be at disunity with other Christians. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So you're mad because somebody voted for the other person and you're basically flipping Jesus off, directly disobeying one of the main clear commandments he gave us as the followers, as his followers, okay? Now, I hope that, that was a spanking. So I hope that kind of felt like, like, because, because listen to me, we're attacking each other. A lot of Christians are like, how could you be a Christian and vote for this person? I'll tell you why. They put their faith in Jesus. That's how they're a Christian. Yeah, but they need to fix this. Well, you need to fix some stuff too, friend. All right. The target is unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. I know you're amening. I don't hear it, but I know it. All right. And knowledge of God's Son. It could be said that we love and look like Jesus, measuring up to the full standard of Christ. A lot of people think that they know how to love like Jesus because they say, well, you know, this person said this, and I just love them. I just love. That's what Jesus would do. Jesus would just love. You don't know what the heck love even means. You don't even know the Jesus you're supposed to follow. You have no clue. You, you, how do you reconcile the Jesus that goes in and turns over, turns over tables and pulls out a whip with the Jesus that says, let the little children come to me? How do you reconcile the Jesus that would caustically, uh, with, with man, with sharpness in his words, take down uh, some of the people that were coming to him, including his own disciples sometimes, with the Jesus who is soft and, and, the, and the gentle shepherd? How do you reconcile that? You've got to know this Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture, not the Jesus of 21st century culture, looked at through the lens of whatever organization we think is the right one to follow at this moment. An Instagram Jesus. No, talk about the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Jesus of the book of Acts. The Jesus of the New Testament. The Jesus of scriptures who we can know through the scriptures, but we need to get into humility and obedience to receive that Jesus. That's the Jesus we need to know until we measure up to his full standard. Until we aren't just we don't put labels in front of, I'm a this type of a Christian. No, I'm a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. Okay, the target is unity and faith and knowledge to actually know the real Jesus. In this passage, we find out that there are lies so clever they sound like truth. And we've talked about this a little bit. But, you know, let me give you an illustration. There are times in life where you think something's really good and it's not. My dad tells a story about when he was a, a teenager, he went to his friend Terry Edder's house and then his friend Terry had an uncle who was 
mentally handicapped, and his name was Uncle Bud. Uncle Bud was this like wonderful, loving, awesome guy. But Uncle Bud had some mouthwash that he'd used for the past many years. And you know, with mouthwash, you're supposed to like take it in and then spit it out. But Uncle Bud would take it in and spit it back. So for years and years and years, he had the same mouthwash. So one day, my dad is, you know, probably stayed up late with his friend. He comes in uh, to the bathroom. He thinks he's grabbing Terry's mouthwash. He takes in Uncle Bud's mouthwash, swirls it around in his mouth, and is experiencing some of the wonderful nutrients and things that were, that were there. Um, that's a lie. <laughs> So clever, it sounds like truth. How many of you are like, I'm, I'm, I'm so sick now that I can't receive anything God wants to do in my life? This is where a lot of people live, though. They're, they, they, they're like, man, it looks like the real thing. It maybe even kind of smells like the real thing, but it ain't the real thing. This is a lie so clever, it seems like truth, but it's not. And these lies are everywhere. They fill the earth. And here's why they're dangerous. They work because they contain a kernel of truth. Like a poison that's sweet to the taste. Man, you might think that, that that poison, it tasted delicious when you took it in, but it killed you from the inside out. Anything that denies the lordship of Jesus, every false gospel, everything that comes against the scripture, even if your culture is, ab, ab, is, is appalled by what the scripture says, what do you cling to at bottom level, the scripture or culture? And I understand we need to look through how we interpret scripture, how we apply scripture. These are meaningful questions, but it's a pretty simple thing to say, do I default in truth to culture, to emotions, or do I default to the word of God? Every ology, every ism that turns people away from Christ, and I talked about labels people put in front of their name. You know, I have this kind of a label. I'm a, you know, I'm this, and I, uh, this is the type of Christian I am. How about just a follower of Jesus where you've admitted, I, I, I'm like a bond slave, like Paul said, that what he says, I do, what he, what he says, go, I go, what he says, I say, what he I'm going to follow Jesus in every way. And it's not about how I feel. It's not about what's popular. It's not about what's going to make me look cool on social media. You know, I've said this before, but there's a lot of, there's causes right now that you can get on social media and you can be like, this cause. And people will be like, yay, everybody, Christians, non-Christians, atheists, everybody. Other causes you get on social media and you go, hey, this cause, and people are like, you're a bigot. You're this, you're that, you're you know, and you're like, well, hold on a second. I thought we were like ethical. Well, no, we're, we're picking and choosing because culture will always take lies so clever they sound like truth. There's a morsel of truth. There's a morsel of truth, a morsel of morality, but it's basically a candy-wrapped lie. And you got to know the voice of the shepherd, the voice of Jesus to go, man, what about this is not quite right? How do I, how do I work through this and embrace people in love but not get pulled into this lie that it's so clever it sounds like truth? So let me give you some questions to ask yourself as a Christian. One, do I believe in absolute truth? First of all, do you believe, and could you sign a document that says, yes, some things are true, some things are false? Because if you can't, we have to talk because we got to work through that because you don't have a biblical worldview if that is the case. Now, you go, man, that sounds like you're judging me or saying, no, I'm just, this is, this is not, this is not like 201 through when this is 101. If you think some things can be true and false or truth is a matter of perspective, you can't align with the words of Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. It's very exclusive. You don't have to like it, but we need to talk about it, okay? Because that's a serious thing. What or who is the ultimate authority of truth in my life? And I want you to be honest with this. You can ask these questions at, in the Connect group, maybe at Joy Groups this week. What or who is the ultimate authority of truth in my life? When you get pushed and you have to make a decision, 
whether it's politics, family, marriage, anything, raising kids, what is the ultimate standard of truth? You go, man, this is what I default to. Not, not the political person I follow, not the books I read, but this, this is what it is. Okay. Three, do I depend on the Bible to guide my, tr- my view of truth and morality? This is what's very, very uh, sad to me and scary to me is that a lot of Christians I'm having conversations with and that I'm watching posts on social media and different things, they are advocating perhaps even what I would consider to be lies that sound so clever that, they're, that they look like truth. They're candy-wrapped lies. They're advocating some form of godliness but denying its power. They're advocating some form of things Christians would stand for but brought in with a whole lot of other stuff. And their ultimate authority, their ultimate view of truth and what's right and wrong is not biblical, it's cultural. Now, here's the thing. A broken clock is right twice a day. Culture, every once in a while, is going to bump into something that is true and right. But if that clock is what you're calibrating your life to, you're only going to be right twice a day. And what's crazy about the world is that, like, 10 years ago, what was right is not what's right today. What was wrong is not what's wrong today. Culture moves. God's word stays the same forever. So watch out for those lies that are so clever they sound like truth. Last, not least, in this passage we see this, that maturity is the ability to know and speak the truth in love. So growing more like Jesus isn't just this knowledge of truth, like I have all this truth. Because that knowledge, the scripture says, puffs us up. Gnosis in Greek, this just, just pure knowledge. I just have knowledge. I just know more. There are a lot of brilliant people that do nothing with their life. Knowledge by itself is not enough. Just knowledge about Jesus, knowledge of Jesus from the scripture even, is not it. It's it's living out that truth like Jesus does. And it's living out that truth as you actually have a real relationship with Jesus, which is why we say that truth is both propositional, delivered to us in scripture, but also personal as we encounter Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so truth is not meant to be just abstract on a page. You know, it's Ten Commandments and... That's it, you know, and there's no love. No, we are to understand and interact with truth at a personal level, and we are to then engage with culture on the basis of that experienced truth through the lens of Christ's love. That's how we engage with truth, okay? And this is why it's, it's sad right now because we have a lot of Christians who are technically right, but they're wrong because they're not speaking the truth in love. Now, culture right now is very comfortable. In culture, we'll cancel anybody because we don't like their bedside manner. Oh, this person said this, we cancel them, canceled, eliminated. That's not a Christian ideal. If you're trying to cancel people, even if they're totally off and wrong, you're missing the the mark of Jesus. Jesus does not cancel people. He redeems people. Now, people can reject Jesus, but he does not cancel them. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. But in our culture right now, bedside manner matters more than truth. That's appalling. That's not good. God cares about truth. So yeah, there's some people that are speaking, but here's here's the caveat here. But we have a lot of Christians who are willing to speak truth, but without love. And that's not the fullness of truth. That's not connecting with what Jesus really is about. So growing more like Jesus isn't just knowledge of the truth. It's living out that truth like Jesus does. Jesus wielded truth like a surgeon's scalpel, not a mercenary sword. Jesus wielded truth like a surgeon's scalpel, not a mercenary sword. What is the difference? They both cut, but one has the intention of healing. One has the intention of taking out what is wrong, not to create more hurt, not to create a wound, but to deal with the wound and to bring life and to bring healing. And that is how we as Christians are to be, so deeply rooted in the truth that we know it. The truth is like a double-edged sword, right? It cuts to the, 
bone and marrow. There's things that I could say to people on social media that, man, they would cut them. I mean, I've got the answer, you know, and, and I know what to say, and I could respond to this, but I don't because it's, I, I, I can't, if I can't wield the scalpel, it's only the sword, I, I don't do it. But like, we need to be so, we need to have that truth and know it. So it almost hurts to not let it out, but then look for those opportunities to speak it in love for the redemption and the restoration of our culture. See, the church was never called to rule culture, to rule over and enforce. We were called to redeem and reconcile people to God until Jesus comes and rules over culture. So the church, we have this sort of like treasure in earthen vessels. Like we have this weakness and strength. The strength is that we know the truth. We know that we're right. Like when somebody says, well, what do you think about this issue? And I say, well, here's what the scripture says. And there's a confidence that's there because it aligns with what's actually real, that this is how the universe is. But then there's this other side where it's weakness because we're not going to hurt someone with that truth. That doesn't change them. Our job is to get them to see that for themselves. Our job is to get them to connect with Jesus for themselves. And so we carry truth and we carry love. And together is what it means to be a Christian. Truth matters to followers of Jesus. This morning, I want to invite you, if you're here and you have not put your faith in Christ, uh, this is an opportunity to do so. And what I'm going to ask you to do right now is just pray a prayer with me to make a decision to follow Jesus. And then that is the beginning of a journey that you go on with Jesus. Because to be a follower of Jesus means you walk in his footsteps, you become a disciple. So it's not just a prayer. It's a prayer of faith. You call upon the Lord, he responds, he saves you, but then he's calling you to follow him. Okay? So we'll give you a next step. But if that's you and you want to follow Jesus, pray this prayer with me today. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I confess my sin. I have not lived up to your standard. I know that I've hurt others. I've hurt myself and I've hurt you. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision, this is the step I want you to take. Just text the word. This is super easy. Text the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848. That's all you got to do. You go, man, you're making it easy for me. Yeah, this isn't hard. Like text the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848, and we're going to help you take those next steps as a follower of Jesus. If you want to get more connected to Joy Church, same number, but different word. Text the word HOME to 541-229-8848. We're going to get in touch with you, get, you con get connected, help you be part of this wonderful church family. For everybody here, let's go to connect groups, joyeugene.com slash live. You guys have a wonderful week. See you in the park, 630 Wednesday night. God bless.